Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Well, good morning. Welcome to you. From, welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. For those of you who are online, thank you for joining us today. We're going to be in the study of the book of Mark. And uh, this is, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I won't go through every verse in Mark chapter 1 and 2, but we're going to pick out a day in the life of Jesus, starting in verse 21 through 39. We're going to look at that passage together. And I hope you're following along. There's bookmarks that we've given to you to assist you in your reading. Uh, but there's also some great resources in the nook. Uh, I have just a few of them that are here today and encourage you that if you want further study to take advantage of them. Uh, two of them are done by um, uh, Warren Wiersbe, uh, tremendous, uh, he was president of Moody Bible Institute. He's written a book called Stay on the Path, Be Diligent. Uh, this is a great devotional. It's actually like a commentary on the book of Mark. Uh, and then he has a Bible study series, Serving Others as You Walk with the Master of Mark, uh, a devotional. And with some great questions at the uh, end of each chapter. I encourage you to go through those and look at those if that would be of your interest. Uh, this is what I'm personally using. It's called the Scripture Journal. In it on one side is the book of Mark and the English Standard Version. Uh, Lord forgive us. But <laughs> I use the New American Standard, but it's a great version. I encourage you to go through and read it. But on the other side is empty pages where you can take notes. And so I've been doing a lot of studying and writing and some reflection and uh, this is what I have been using as I've been going through the book of Mark. So anyway, those are three good resources. There's also resources on prayer, which is what we'll be talking about today, and many other devotionals that will be a help to you and to your family. So anyway, may the Lord use that in your life as we, uh, as we walk through the study of Mark together. Well, last week, if you missed last week, it is available online. I encourage you to uh, go through it. Uh, Joel gave us a wonderful introduction to the book of Mark. And I liked his description. When you read the book of Mark, it is very fast-paced. And he used the description of bouncy balls. Where it just moves from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. In 16 chapters, he covers three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, from his baptism to his crucifixion and resurrection and the Great Commission. All of that is crunched down into 16 chapters where Matthew takes uh, 28 chapters, I think Luke 21, something like that. And uh, John's writes a little bit differently, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe the life of Jesus somewhat chronologically. But when you get to Mark, uh, we, uh, Mark uh, is either a disciple of Peter or a relative of Peter, but Mark is writing Peter's memories. Um, uh, Peter is maybe 50, 60 years old, and just a few years after the, uh, the issuance of the writing of the book of Mark, he's going to be crucified upside down by the Romans as Nero is attempting to purge Christianity. And so knowing that his time is coming to near to an end, he's writing his recollections and the memories that he has of being with Jesus. And it's almost like he has on his lap a shoebox full of photos. And he's pulling out a picture and saying, oh, Mark, write this one down. This is a good story. And he pulls out another, oh, write, 
listen, let's read. Let's write this one down. And he collects these stories uh, for our encouragement. So we're going to look through the book of Mark, uh, and it's uh, going to be an uh, interesting run. Uh, and particularly as we look at this passage of scripture from Mark chapter one, verses 21 through 39, is a picture of what it was like to be with Jesus in a particular day. Now, one of the things you'll notice as you go through the book of Mark is that there's a lot of things that aren't mentioned, such as when we start in verse 21, there's a lot that has already happened. Uh, if you're studying the book of John, well, the wedding of Canaan has already happened. Uh, there's been other miracles that have already happened. In fact, just the Saturday before this, this happens on a Saturday, uh, he was up in Nazareth, his hometown, and he was kicked out of that town. Uh, he went into the synagogue like he does here, and he so rattled the cages that the people became incensed, and they were driving him, to, um, I mean, literally pushing him toward a cliff, and they're going to throw him over the cliff, and then another miracle occurs, and Jesus just walks right through him, almost like Star Wars. He just kind of walks right through, and he heads down south into, the, uh, into Capernaum. And so a lot of things have happened before this particular passage that aren't included in the book of Mark. It's not that Mark forgot to add it. He was just selective in it. In fact, uh, we'll give you a reason as to why he wrote this here in just a minute. So let's look at this, Mark chapter one, starting at verse 21, and we'll walk through through verse 39. So they, this is how it starts, Mark 21. I'm reading out of the numeric standard. They, uh, which would have been Jesus and the disciples, went into Capernaum. Capernaum was a significant town on the nice north shore of Galilee. Uh, it was at a, on a major trade route that began in Damascus, ended up in Cairo. So a lot of different people would pass through Capernaum. It was primarily a fishing town. But, so they went into this significant town, town not particularly large. And immediately, you're going to see this word a lot, on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, he entered the synagogue. Now he would have arrived in Capernaum on a Friday night or on a Friday because Sabbath begins on Friday night. So the first thing Saturday morning, he and his disciples go into the synagogue he enters the synagogue, and if you go to Israel, uh, the synagogue's there. You, you can be in this synagogue. It's actually a fourth century version. Underneath it, about three feet below it, is the place where Jesus literally was. So you can still see it. It's a significant little community. It's usually included in many tours. You should go to Israel. So he goes into the synagogue, and he begins to teach. He's a visiting teacher. And they, all those who are there in the synagogue, and the synagogue isn't much larger than the fireside room, that holds about 100, 150 people, um, mostly men, but some women would have been in there. And so th that's who the they is. We're amazed at Jesus's teaching, very different than what they had ever heard before from their own rabbi. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The scribes, for the most part, would teach what others had taught, not so much what the Bible was teaching. And Jesus is teaching as one who even wrote the book. Amen. How does he have such authority as he, as he teaches? That's what they were wondering. Verse 23, just then there was a man in their synagogue. Well, can you imagine? You're there teaching. And all of a sudden, this man with an unclean spirit cries out saying, and I imagine that this was quite loud, quite menacing. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And I'm imagining that when he spoke, it wasn't in normal tones and it wasn't in the tone of that man. For those who were there, it was rather frightening, I'm sure. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And immediately throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And everyone that was there were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? 
He commands even the unclean spirits, the demonic spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Can you imagine? Absolutely. Boy, everyone's going to be talking about, you should have been at church today. (laughs) You would not have believed what happened while Jesus was teaching. In verse 29, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, the very first thing, they came into the house of Simon, Andrew, and James, and John. Now, if you go to Capernaum, this is not a long distance. You can actually see the place where we think Peter lived with his family. It's not too far away, just a a few hundred feet away, through a couple streets and maybe about a block or less. There's Peter's house, real close to the shore of Galilee. So now Simon's mother-in-law was sick. She was very sick. She was lying sick with a fever. And this fever is just not a normal high temperature. There's something unique about this fever. And immediately they, referring to Simon and Andrew, Simon who's Peter, and they immediately spoke to Jesus about her, his mother-in-law. And so Jesus came to her and he raised her up, taking, talk, uh, taking her by the hand and the fever left her and she waited on them, meaning that she was full well. We'll talk a little bit more about this fever. When evening came, so now when evening comes and the sun sets, now people are free to move about and Sabbath travel is restricted to how far they, they can move away from their house and what they can do. But now that evening is set and Sunday begins on Saturday night, guess what happens? Man, word has been spreading like crazy and and they begin bringing to Jesus all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And it was a bunch of them. Verse 33, in the whole city, Capernaum was about 1,500 to 10,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. Imagine outside of your little tiny home that was maybe at best 1,000 square feet. You're packed with thousands and thousands of people, so much so that nobody can get in and hardly can get out. And verse 34, and he healed, Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. So it's not the only casting out and exorcism that was taking place. And he was not permitting the demons to speak, unlike what happened earlier, because they knew who he was. And you'll find that phrase again and again. The demons have no question about who Jesus is. Everyone else is wondering who Jesus is. The demons were not questioning who Jesus is. They knew who he was. So in the early morning, so now this is Sunday morning, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus gets up. He leaves the house and went away to a secluded place where no one else was, and he was praying there. And Simon and his companions searched for him. They've been asleep while he, Jesus leaves. They wake up and they see his mat is empty. Where's Jesus? And they go looking for him. And they finally find him and they say to him, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And so he went into other synagogues throughout all of Galilee, every little town, as long as as there were at least 10 others, men or women, they would form a synagogue. And so in other little communities, there'd be synagogues. And he went throughout all of Galilee preaching. And what else was he doing? He was casting out demons. Man, demons were all over the place when Jesus was around. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this story that we have. Lord, for what it communicates to us about your mighty power, your authority, that you who came are the King of kings and Lord of lords and even the demons shudder, knowing that there will be a day of judgment coming and they know full well what that means. And so, Lord, would you take your word, would you plant it deeply in our heart, Father, for your glory here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.
when you came in this morning, he should have received an outline, something like this, and we're gonna kind of go through it. And this outline is really intended for you to take home because there's no way I'll be able to cover all of the verses that are there. So I hope you look up some of the extra passages of scripture that are listed there, but it'll help us as we kind of track along. So one of the questions I ask when I study uh, these kind of passages, and particularly when we look at the gospels, is why in the world did these writers write? Why did Mark write? Why did Matthew write? Why did Mark write? Why did John and Luke and John write? And they all had this in common. And John writes this in John chapter 20. He says, these things that are written, um, says there was many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So this, what we have here in Mark is not all the things that Peter could have talked about. What you have in Matthew and Luke is not all the things Jesus talked about. In fact, as you look at all the gospels, there's 30 some miracles. Jesus did far, far more than that. And John says, these things that are written here, it's not everything that we could have written about. In fact, I don't know that we have enough paper and pencil that we could have written all the things that we, that the stories and experiences that we had with Jesus. But these things, he says, are written for these reasons. I, we have written, and Paul, Mark would say, the reason I'm writing this is so that you too might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the one that we have been praying for, the one that we have been looking forward to, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you will have what? Life in his name. The demons believe in God. Did you know that? They know exactly who he is. They know everything is about him. And if you've had conversations with individuals and, and they'll often will try to assure you, I believe in God. And I often think of the passage in James where James says, well, congratulations, so do the demons. They believe in God and they shudder. And I asked the folks, I, I literally asked them, the believe, demons believe in God. What makes your belief different? Because their belief is gonna land them in hell. How will your belief land you in heaven? It's a good question. What is the difference between one's belief that makes no difference in terms of your eternal destiny, meaning that the default is to be judged forever away from God, or the one that says, welcome home, welcome home. You'll see as you read throughout the book of Mark and others, the demons are gonna declare who Jesus is. You are the son of the most high God. Why are you here? Is this the time of the day of judgment for us? That's one of the questions they asked. And they were fearful because they knew who Jesus was. They knew he had that authority. He knew they had that power that they even uh, um, obey and follow his commands that you'll see later on when you get into Mark chapter five. The demons, though they know who he is, do this. And this is what should separate us. Jesus, I know who you are, but I don't care. I know you went to the cross for sins, but I don't care. I will not follow you. I will not obey you. I will not listen to you. I don't care. But the one who, what Mark and John and others say, we're right, you might believe that Jesus is Christ and by believing you have life in the name, that Lord, I surrender myself to you. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And you are the king of my heart. You are the Lord of my heart. And my desire is to surrender myself to you and to follow you all the days of my life. You alone is what saves. My good works don't save me. 
My good intentions don't save me. The color of my skin doesn't save me. The size of my wallet doesn't save me. You alone save me. My life was made in your image. I was made for you and for your glory. And my desire, as long as you give me life, is to honor you and to serve you. It's all the difference in the world because the demons don't say that. But do you say that? And there may be some in here today that have been on this fence about who Jesus is. Don't mistake it. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He's inviting you to come to him today. He's inviting you to surrender yourself today. And for each of us, each day we give ourselves to him. Day after day we surrender ourselves. Not my will, but Lord, your will be done. So what impressed the fishermen? The fisherman is Peter. Peter is telling the story. Mark is writing it down. What impressed him? And I'm gonna share with you five things that just as you read through the book of Mark will just jump out at you. 36 times in 35 verses, you're gonna see the word immediately. Peter was impressed with how quickly things happen. And that's where Joel talked about the bouncy ball. Boy, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. 35 times, you're gonna see that that's a theme. Things happen just like that when Jesus shows up. 33 times, Peter was impressed. Now, here's a guy who had fished most of his life. We don't know how old Peter was, but he was one of the older fishermen that were there. He's probably in his 30s or 40s, and he had been out in the boat a long time. When you're out in the boat, the only ones that are out in the boat with you are your, your, the guys. You're not used to crowds. And so when he's meeting Jesus, my goodness, everybody is following Jesus. And you'll see that over and over and over again, the word crowds is being mentioned 33 times out of 31 verses is mentioned crowds. And along with that as an adjective that there's many that followed him. The crowds were large, they were huge following him. And we're gonna see that as we go through the feeding of the 5,000. Over 5,000 men were there, let alone their wives and their children that were also there. You're gonna see 29 times Jesus is gonna connect with demons and unclean spirits out of 27 verses. There'll be 21 unique displays of power in 16 chapters, and I've listed them as I go through. Oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. And just this particular chapter, chapter one, I have four unique displays of power. But 21 times, Peter remembers these significant events where Jesus demonstrates he has full authority over everything. He has full authority over the winds, over the waves, over a boy's sack lunch over demons. It's, it includes everything. And then he notices that people followed Jesus. 23 times out of 22, 22 verses, Peter's just overwhelmed that when the people gathered and the crowds gathered, the people were following Jesus. They were leaving their, tax, their, their, their businesses in some instances to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus, when he followed Jesus, boy, he, he put it all on the line when he followed Jesus. So much so, so much so, that when we get to the middle of the book of Peter, in chapter eight, Jesus takes his disciples up to a place, unique place called Caesarea um, Philippi, a place where demons are worshiped. And he takes the disciples and he asks them this question, who do men say that I am? Some of the guys said, well, word on the street, Lord, is that you're John the Baptist resurrected. You got his spirit going on in you or something like that. Or you're a great teacher. Uh, you, a lot of stuff is being said, but then he looks at Peter and says, well, but, but what about you, Peter? You haven't said anything yet. Who do you say that I am? And in the middle of the book, Peter says, you are the Christ. And in the other places that are listed there, it's listed also in Matthew and Luke. You are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. 
I've watched you. That is exactly who you are. The word Christ means you are the appointed one. You're the one that we have been expecting. You have been the one that we've been looking for. You are that one. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. who you are. Jesus says, that didn't come from your own thinking, Peter. The Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. Congratulations, you get an A today. We'll get you a gold star. So while they're in Capernaum, and we're just gonna walk through this, starting in verse 21. While they're in Capernaum, man, this thing just rapid fires. They go to the synagogue. That's the place of worship. It's a place of study. Jesus goes in, and as a guest speaker, he's given the Torah to be able to read. And as he is teaching, they are hearing things they have never heard before. He is teaching as one who has authority. In verse 22, the people are amazed. They've never heard this kind of teaching before. It's one of the things that attracted them. And immediately as he is teaching the word and the word is being expressed, the demons can't stay quiet any longer. So I, I see this man. I'm, I, we, I, we don't really know much about this particular person. I just wonder if he looked like just a normal guy and this thing was suppressed. Maybe, I don't know how else it might've shown up, but I don't think he was you know, particularly ostracized, but all of a sudden these demons just surface out of him and, and all of a sudden they're screaming, why are you even here? He has this encounter with demons that we just recently talked about. You're gonna see that's gonna happen again in chapter three, verse 11. And then news spreads everywhere about what happens when Jesus, what happens when Jesus shows up. Immediately after that, he, they go to Peter's mother-in-law. She is sick. And as you look at 20, uh, as you look at this passage, look at verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. This fever isn't just a little slight temperature. This is seriously sick fever. In Deuteronomy, it's fever of this nature, at least what the word says, can be a chastisement from God. And so as you would see, you're not sure what's going on. Is this God's judgment upon this mother's life or is it demonic in its origin? The average person wouldn't be able to tell, but something different is going on with Peter's mother and it's supernatural such that, that as immediately as Jesus touches her, that thing is gone. And all of a sudden, when she was so sick, hardly able to get out of her bed, she's up and well and serving others with joy and delight as though nothing had ever happened for her. That's what happened when people connected with Jesus. Word begins to spread again, and then the whole city begins to show up at Jesus' door. And I can't imagine what that night must have been like for Jesus. It was a busy day. It started early for him. And it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. I don't know how your life has been, but man, I love people. But boy, when I'm around a lot and it just goes on and on and on, I get exhausted. Do you, you ever get that way? Anyway, you go to a, uh, I got a class reunion coming up and maybe you've had class reunions. At some point, you're, well, you're glad to leave, right? You're, you're, glad, you're glad just to be in a place where it's quiet. You know, there's not so much attention and all that. I, I, I'm thinking of Jesus it has been all day at 100%. And here in the evening, when you would like to have a quiet meal and everything begins to slow down, people are packed at the door needing help. And one of the things you'll find as you read through the book of Mark is Jesus always had time for the one. In the mass of the crowds, notice it as you read through the book of Mark, in the mass of the crowds, he stops for a leper. In the mass of the crowds, he stops for a woman that has been continuously sick for a long time. In the mass of the crowd, he reaches out and touches a blind man, brings children into his lap. He always has time for the one. Isn't that encouraging? Amen. With all the needs that are in the world today, 
He has time for you. He has time for me. He is not unaware of the burdens that each of us are carrying here today. We all look nice. We all look cute and pretty. But we are carrying, all of us, different ones of us are carrying some heavy things today. And the Lord knows and the Lord cares. Isn't that good to know? And in the midst of that, he'll never leave us. He'll never desert us. But in the midst of this day, at some point in time, they draw the line and say, folks, Jesus needs to rest and sleep. And they shut it down, maybe 10 o'clock at night. I don't know how long it went. We really don't know. But it takes a lot of time. And you got the whole town showing up. And that town was as many as 1,500 to 10,000 people are crowded around this little tiny home. It's not a big home. And they're just pressed in. And finally, they say, folks, Jesus will be here tomorrow morning. Right? He needs some rest. And so then he goes and he sleeps. Um, and where you and I would probably like to sleep in because we'd be so tired, <laughs> what does he do? Before anybody else gets up, while it is still dark, he says, I got to go be with my dad. And Jesus prays. Folks, as I read this, that is huge to me. That the son of God the Christ needs to be with his dad. He needs to pray. And he goes away where nobody else is to a secluded place where it's quiet and the cell phones are off and the computer is not there. And he says, dad, I just need to spend some time with you. And as you see this, this will show up again and again and again in the gospels. How Jesus saw time. In fact, you'll see in Luke that this was his habit. So much so that the disciples ultimately came to him and said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Notice how they say, can you show us how to do this exorcism kind of thing? You know, that, that sack lunch deal, that was really cool. I'd like to learn, would you show me how you did that? They don't say anything like that. Out of all the things that they experienced, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray like you pray? And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Don't miss how significant this is. So when we talk about prayer, what are we talking about? And this isn't in your outline, this is a freebie. It's, it's prayer is intimately connecting with our creator. It's us stopping and listening. It's us stopping and meeting with him, longing with him. And I've had folks say, well, I pray all the time. And I wonder if that's what they're talking about. Or if their prayer, concept of prayer, isn't like jumping up in Santa Claus's lap and asking and asking and asking. And there's a place to ask, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we don't miss this. What Jesus was talking about when he went to pray, it was to be with his Father. And what you notice is when he comes out of that meeting with prayer, what, is he, what, what happens? The disciples, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. Guys, we need to pack up. <laughs> My dad wants us to go. Because we'll later see that Jesus didn't do anything on his own initiative. He wanted to do his father's business. He didn't say anything that his father didn't want him to say. He didn't go anywhere his father didn't want him to go. And as you'll go through the book of Mark, you will see very clearly that Jesus is on a mission. In chapter five, he says, we need to get in the boat. We're gonna to go to uh, Gennesar. What's in Gennesar? You'll see. For one man, he goes. For one man, he goes. A man filled full of demons. He had a mission that day. 
And you'll see that over and over again. He had a mission that day when he went to Samaria to meet a woman who was coming at the well during the middle of the day when nobody would want to be with her. He always had a mission. So why did Jesus pray? Two things, we're gonna move quickly here. He longed for the Father and he longed to do the Father's will. Those are two reasons. There's other reasons. He needed strength, he needed, he needed help, he needed assistance. But he comes, he humbles himself to the Father. Father, I wanna be with you. And one of the gut-wrenching moments on the cross was him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of one time in his entire life, God, where are you? I need you now. Why have you forsaken me? He longed to be with the Father and he longed to do the Father's will. And as you read through those passages, you'll see that Jesus was just 100% focused. Lord, I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. So when did Jesus pray? Look at this. And these passages you're gonna have to look up. It was his habit to pray. This was his pattern. If we were to study the life of Jesus, it was his habit to find time where he could be alone and to pray, to connect with his father. He prayed before his day got busy. That's what you see here in Mark 1.35. His day is gonna get even busier when they leave uh, Capernaum. He prayed after a busy day in Matthew 14.23. Mark 6 is, is the feeding of the 5,000. After that is done, he sends his disciples to, on the shore, uh, out onto sea. He goes up to a mountain just to spend time with his father, saying, guys, I'm gonna hook up you later. He didn't tell him how he was gonna do it. He figured he'd walk around the lake. Now I'm gonna take a shortcut. I'm gonna walk across the water. I'll meet you up there, right? <laughs> uh, before any major decision, Jesus prayed in Luke chapter six. And this is when he picks out the 12. There were a lot of people following Jesus, a lot of people. It wasn't just these 12 guys. There were hundreds of people following him. He goes up in the mountain and all night he prays. and says, God, which ones do you want me to pick? Which ones? Why don't you pick Peter, James, and John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Oh, make sure Judas Iscariot, you'll need him on your team. Because Jesus knew one of them was going to deceive him. Father, which one? Pick him. Want him to be on the team. And also times of great stress, he goes to the garden. The most stressful point in his life, he goes to the garden. He prays and prays and prays. And folks, this is where some of us will connect today because you'll wonder, why doesn't the Lord, you know, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and, and my wife died. We prayed and prayed and prayed and this happened and this happened. And here Jesus said to the Father, Lord, is there any other way but the cross? Is there, do we have to go to the cross? Is there another plan that we can go to? Is there a lamb over here somewhere that we can grab? No. Why don't you go to the cross? My plan is you're gonna go to the cross. And I know it's brutal what awaits you. But son, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry you through it. When we get through the end, it will be worth it all, son. But that's my plan, is we're gonna go through the valley of the shadow of death and we're gonna go through it together. And I'll be near to you. You can read Psalm 22 as to what that it was experienced. And sometimes the Lord will take us through times of great stress, just like he did with Jesus. So when should we pray? Folks, we follow Christ's example. Man, we pray before we get busy. We pray after we've been busy. We pray when we're under stress. We pray before major decisions. Let's follow Jesus' example. When we seek the Lord, when we seek him, we recognize that he is the shepherd of our life. He is the captain of our ship. And we want to be about his business. So why should we pray? I'm going to give you five reasons here. One, one, we're invited to pray. Even he told his disciples, when you pray, you can say, Daddy, Father in heaven. We have an open door. Jeremiah says, call upon me and I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things. The door is wide open that we can go into the Father 
And he, and Jesus says, you, we now are friends. You are my sons, my daughters, my, my brothers, my mothers, my sisters. We're, we're together. We're a family of God. And we can go into the presence of the Father and call him Daddy, Father in heaven. We're invited. Let's take up on that invitation. We're encouraged. Peter says, we're to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We're to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares deeply for us. He encourages us to come and to lay every burden at his feet. There is freedom when we pray. The passage in Philippians says that if we don't, we should not worry. We do not be anxious or worry, but in all things pray, giving thanks. And when you do that, you'll experience God's peace, which surpasses all understanding and will keep your heart and mind quiet and rest in Christ Jesus. Folks, worry and anxiousness is bondage. And the Lord wants to set us free, to be free people knowing that the Lord is with us and our sovereign God, if he is with us, who can be against us. There's also a great reward in prayer. In Matthew chapter six, we are invited. He says, when you pray in secret, while no one else knows, he knows, the father knows, and he has a reward for those who seek him out in secret. If you pray to the applause of men, that's as far as it goes. And the Lord says, seek the things that don't wear out. Seek the things that can't be stolen away. Seek the things that last for eternity. And one of them is praying in secret. Seek the Lord while while you're able to. And there is great victory in prayer. And the passage in 1 Peter and Ephesians talks about the spiritual battles we are in. And we're going to experience temptation. We're going to experience trials. And our strength that we find in Christ will be through prayer as we cast these cares upon him. Thomas Watson wrote this. He was a Puritan writer. He says, prayer delights God's ears. It melts his heart. It opens his hand. And God cannot deny a praying soul. Now let's go a little bit deeper because the Lord promises to be near to the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. There will be seasons when our hearts will be broken. There will be times as he hears us, he says, I know, I know, I know, but trust me. You may not understand it now and you may not understand it until you see me, but trust me. Sometimes the Lord's plan for our lives is that we go through the valley of the shadow of death and then we walk through the veil of tears. He hears us. He loves us. Death is not the great adversary. For those who walk through death, for those who know Christ, it is freedom from a body that has been racked with cancer and pain and they are set free to the glory of God. But we are left here crying. We are left here with holes in our heart as God develops a new chapter in our life where he calls us to trust in him and lean upon him. He is near to those whose hearts are broken. He delights in your prayer. It melts his heart. He opens his hand and he will be with you all the way to the end of the age. So here's my question. When and where do you pray? When and where do you pray? For Jesus, he found delight in getting up early, even while it was dark. And this last week, I've gotten up a number of times early in the morning. And I live out in the country, so I don't have houses when I get out. If I go out my front door, I don't see houses. I see open fields. Folks, the starlight sky is spectacular at 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning. Check it out. And tonight, we're going to get a phenomenal full moon. But at 3.30, 4.30 in the morning, Venus and, uh, Venus and Mercury are 
right next to each other and it is bright right off the horizon. Right up there, you can see Mars. It is so pick and clear. It shines a little red. Right next to it is Jupiter. It's like a big beacon. It just shines brightly and we're just off to the side of it. And you can just see it. it's just this long straight arc is uh, Saturn. And if you had the eyes, which I don't, <laughs> but, but Uranus and Neptune and Pluto are all in line with each other. It is spectacular. And those are the things that Jesus was seeing when he went to be with the Father. And you go out there and you say, oh my Lord, my God, how great you are. How great you are. So when and where do you pray? Do you have a spot? Do you have a chair? For my wife and I, we have a, a dining room and we have some large patio windows and it looks out to um, a beautiful backyard. And it is so beautiful. It is so peaceful. And it's just nice to be quiet before the Lord. Where and where do you, when and where do you go? Seek the Lord while he may be found. He, find, he will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. And then let this be your prayer. Lord, would you teach us how to pray like you prayed? Would you teach us how to pray? And if that is your heart, he's gonna take you right to Matthew chapter six, verse nine. And you're gonna learn to pray and you're gonna say, my father who's in heaven. Man, there's no name like your name. You are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you're the everlasting Father, you're the almighty God, the Prince of Peace, you're the Jehovah Jireh, you're the Shalom, you're the El Shaddai, you are it all, Lord, and you're the God who knows my name. Lord, may your kingdom come in my life. May your will be done in my life. I'll bet you your friends who are telling you they pray all the time are praying this way. Lord, will your will be done in my life, your kingdom come in my life, and may your will be done in my life just as it's done in heaven. Lord, I need you today. I, 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 would, Lord, would you provide for my family and I today? Would you give us our daily bread today? Would you give us what we need for this day? And Lord, would you lead me not into temptation? Lord, would you deliver me from evil? And Lord, would you forgive me of my debts? Because Lord, I've sinned much. As I also have forgiven those who have sinned against me. For Lord, for yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory. It's all about you and I want to be in your business today. And as you seek the Lord, as you seek him and you say, Lord, I want to pray like you pray. He's going to lead you to pray like that. It's not a, a litany of special words. It's a relationship. What kind of relationship would you have with your wife or your husband if you only spent five minutes a day with her? What kind of relationship would you have with your family if just once a week you spent an hour with them? You know, it wouldn't work. You wouldn't have much of a marriage. You wouldn't have much of a family. Relationship is, spent, is built upon time shared together. And what makes it work for you and my wife and I and our family works with the Lord. He longs for me to want to be with him. Because he knows if that's my heart, it'll be well with my soul. There'll be a peace in my life. There'll be a joy in my life. There'll be a freedom in my life as I connect with him. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be fully confident he is with me and he'll comfort me. And no shepherd leads his sheep through dark valleys if there isn't a good meadow on the other side. And I'm trusting you for the good meadow. I'm waiting upon you for that good meadow. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good work in our life. I'm grateful, Lord, that these things that here isn't make-believe. This is true stuff. You, you are present here today amongst us. You've called us together. It's not an accident that we are here today to be exposed to your word. And so, Lord, would you draw us to yourself? The doors are wide open. You're sitting waiting for us to join you. And so, Lord, may we be a people that hunger and thirst for you like a deer who is long for the crystal clear streams of water. So may our heart long for you. So, Father, may we be your people. May we honor you and glorify you. And, Lord, if there's anyone that's here today that's been sitting on the fence and they've been debating and they're wrestling and even maybe even like the demons, I know who you are, but, boy, I'm not going there. That, Lord, they would surrender themselves fully to you today that they might experience the joy and peace that comes from walking, from knowing and walking with you. Lord, for your glory, we give you the praise and the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.